The Michael Hatfield Remax team presents Real Estate and More. Bay Area real estate is different than in all of America. And why? What's up with home buyers? What's on sellers' minds? How is the market? And much, much more. Now, here's your host, Michael Hatfield. Good morning. Our show today is about an interesting map. This gentleman is a former professional NFL quarterback, having played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Playing in five seasons, he set records in the Arena Football League, XFL as well. Early years, he eventually led the Cal Bears to a 10-2 record and a number eight national ranking in 1991. He is also the host of television show Gridiron Outdoors, founder of the Cal Ballers Young Quarterback Coaching Organization, Elite Athletes TV as well. Welcome to the show, Mike Podolaski. Michael, great. Thank you for having me here today. God, it's great to uh, to have you on board this morning. I know our listeners are really excited. Doesn't it seem a little bit funny um, having a real estate show right in the middle of KGO Sports, sports, but uh, here we go. Now we have you, so uh, we're redeeming ourselves as uh, sports enthusiasts. Well, so. I'm a, I'm, so I'm a sports guy, but I've been on KGO for years, right? Since 1996, yeah. and my games when I played in college were on KGO way back when, so this just feels like home for me, which just fits right in with the real estate show. Great. That's super. We're so, we're so happy to have you here. You grew up in uh, Orange County, loving two sports, and many thought that you had, were going to go into professional baseball, but then something happened. Something incited you to climbing the gridiron ladder all the way up to an NFL quarterback. How did that happen? So I was always a sports guy. My dad was my coach growing up. I was into sports a lot. And and when I was a kid, when I was really young, I actually was born with cystic fibrosis. And so as a result, I was sick. I was in the hospital a lot, had pneumonia, uh, several times growing up and serious breathing problems. And there were three different times, the final one, which when I went into the emergency room, my the doctors literally told my parents, if he makes it through the night, he's going to be okay. And my parents decided on the spot, we're doing something about this. And so my dad was an army guy. He was a paratrooper. He was a, you know, rub some dirt on it guy. And he said, sports learn how to breathe, learn how to strengthen those lungs. Wow. And my mom was a World War II survivor from Germany. Wow. Uh, and so she was a super tough lady as well. And they decided that sports was going to be the avenue to help me overcome this illness. So they put me into every sport possible. I was in track. I was in football. I was in baseball. I was in playing softball when I got to junior high. I was swimming. I was surfing. I was skiing, doing everything. And baseball I had a natural knack for. I could hit the ball, I could throw, I could do all those things. And so I was a catcher. And football, when I finally got to play, my mom tried to keep me out of football. She was a soccer lady growing up in Germany, of course, or what they call football. And she kept me from playing until I was 12. Once I finally played at 12, I was a tight end. Loved it. I loved the fact that there was physical contact, that it was straight head-to-head competition. And so when I started playing football in high school, it, it spoke to me. It was the game that I was meant to play. I knew it at the time. And so I played both defensive back and quarterback. Oh, wow. And so I loved the physical side on defense. I had uh, 11 interceptions my senior year coming out as a safety. But every coach that recruited me recruited me as a quarterback. So they must have seen something that I didn't know about. We were a wing tee, didn't throw the ball very much. But I was able to 
take that little bit of training as a quarterback and parlay it into a good future at Cal, obviously. Well, the sports became my armor. Like, mm-hmm. being able to play that was the way that I was going to fight back the, the disease. Yeah. So many victims out there That's these days. You. But that was not me. I was not going to be a victim to this. <laughs> me either. I was going to fight this and win, and sports became my armor against it. Wow. That's a heck of a story. I had no idea. And, you know, interestingly, along this football background, you know, your record at Cal speaks for itself. I, I think you went on to college. You were recruited. You became one of Cal's, if not the Cal's, winning as quarterback modern quarterback of all time and member of the Golden Bears Hall of Fame. What what did you love so much about playing this sport with the Bears that made you excel to that level or is it just you? It's a couple of things. Obviously, I, we talked about it was my armor, but it was also connection. The thing that I miss now, not being able to play, you hear guys talk about it all the time, is when, when you play, you love the locker room. You love being around your teammates. You love all of that. And In the NFL, Sundays are great and college Saturdays are great. In high school, Friday night lights are great. It's The games are the reward for the work that you put in all week. Mm-hmm. But truly, the experience that you miss when you're done playing is the connection with your teammates. The story that I told our team. You develop identity around a team. You develop identity around yourself by the stories that you tell yourself. And so if you repeat something often enough, if you continue to use the words that promote winning, that promote success you're developing the identity of a winner. Mm -hmm. And so I, you have to have leaders on a team, that Cal team, we had several of them, but I was among them and I was the one promoting that identity as a team that we did not back down to anybody. We were not gonna be the Cal teams of old. We were going to win and win weekly, not just succeed and and be happy about one win, but we were gonna win continually. And it's because of the stories that we told ourselves. It's because the effort that we put in as a result of that identity that we built through our stories. Uh, It's unbelievable. Again, another parallel, Mike. when I retired from the airline, I miss the people. Yeah. The people, you know, your flight attendants, the people on the ground, the mechanics, your your fellow pilots, because you share a lot of experiences. And of course, it's not violent usually anyway. <laughs> Today, who knows, you know, right. but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. But you did so well in your career. And what, what was the biggest years that you had at Cal again? 91 was our big year. We were number eight in the country, depending on the poll. But we went uh, 10 and two that year. Had, I mean, had some fantastic teammates. Matter of fact, just coming down here today, my left tackle, Troy Ozzie, who I talk to all the time, called me. College All-American. He was uh, first pick of the second round. He was runner-up for Rookie of the Year in the NFL. Just a phenomenal football player. Some great guys around me. But it was a special moment in Cal history. Yeah, but, but because you- that's the highest finished, highest ranking finished in Cal history since... Pappy's team since way back in the Rose Bowl eras of the 50s and then back in the 20s. And so um, I tell people all the time, right, we've had Jared Goff through there. We've had Aaron Rodgers, probably the greatest quarterback in in terms of natural passing, the natural thrower of a football. Aaron Rodgers is the greatest that ever lived. But I'm still the winningest quarterback percentage-wise in modern history, if 30 years is modern, uh, in Cal history. And that's because not just what I did, but what our team did around it. And putting that together, and this is the connection that I was talking about. I love that connection. That team had great connection. Bruce Snyder, our head coach, created a, a an environment in which we could have that together. And it, it was an amazing experience. You know, Mike, um, in the airline business, in 1978, there, there was a lot of airline accidents and something had to be done because a lot of them were pilot error. At that time, all of the airline flight standards departments got together and they said, 
we have to define who's the leader, how people are to follow, and they developed this program called Crew Resource Management. By defining the leader, which is in your case, the quarterback and the airline thing is the captain, and how all of those functions work and who is to follow, you can actually measure how well you're your teammates are as leaders themselves personally. You may be the quarterback, but they're leaders because they can follow your direction on on the field. It's just amazing, you know, what you've done. You know, your 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 record at, at Cal was like 17, 6, and 1. Total over two years. My so that's the gosh. that's the percentage that we talk about. That 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 winning percentage is better than anybody who's been through there since back in the fifties. Yeah. At, I mean, at the quarterback spot. Now that was our whole team. That wasn't just me, obviously. But that that record speaks for itself for how my teammates wanted to work about how dedicated they were about that identity that we built for ourselves and and you pointed out i actually would just came from one of cal's practice because i'm doing the cal auburn game coming up this weekend um and actually when people hear this they'll it'll be the cal washington game but i'm coming from cal's practice right now and i talked to a player who just got injured and he's going in for surgery tomorrow he's done he's he's uh he's a senior player and he's, he just ended his season. And the discussion that we had was, you know, he said, I got to find a way now. And I said, here's the deal. You're already a leader based on your status, the fact that you've been here for so long. But what you have to do is learn to thrive where you're planted. This is your circumstance. This is your situation. And so now as a teammate to this team, you are going to contribute at your position, but you can't. So now how do you contribute to what's going on? You can feel sorry for yourself. You can mope. You can feel like a victim or you can make this team better through the contributions that you make as a leader, picking people up, connecting with people, helping coach people up, finding a way that you can be an asset to the team rather than somebody that just hangs there because they're injured. It's natural for human beings to feel sorry for themselves. It's natural for, for people to feel like they have gotten a bum deal. It happens all the time. But if you sit in that then nothing good happens. If you find a way to contribute, grow where you're planted, make do with what you have and make the best with what you have, that's when you become a true leader. And for this this young man, he's going to be a great leader. He's going to be a great contributor, either as a businessman or a coach. But as part of this team, he can be a great leader because people respect him already. Now he has to find a way to step up into that new role that, that's been thrust upon him because of injury. Well, I'm sure you'll be there to guide him. Anytime he wants. Absolutely. And that's uh, that's a segue right there into uh, what you're doing in San Ramon with the young professionals that uh, you work with that are wanting to be up and coming quarterbacks. And you work so hard with them. And uh, what are they called again? Cowballers you're talking about yeah. in, ter- in terms of my young athletes. Yeah. So I, I, I resisted coaching for a long time because when I was playing, I didn't want to bounce my family around and as a player, I went to Albany, New York, and Shreveport, Louisiana, and Tampa Bay, and San Jose. and Like the airline business. Exactly. So I was all over the place, and, and family had to follow. Well, once my son was born, he was actually born the Monday of the championship game in the XFL, and I had already broken my neck playing, and I was playing with a broken neck. I had already torn my, torn my rotator cuff. I would already had the knee injury that was going to lead to my fifth knee surgery. Um, and I got disqualified a couple weeks later, and I said, I'm not going to bounce him around like I did, you know, had to, to play. And so I didn't go into coaching, but I am by nature, a coach. I am by nature, a teacher, and I love giving back and I love helping people grow. I love helping people improve. And so given the opportunity to coach quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, I actually, Michelle Granger, who was the greatest women's softball pitcher of all times, 
undoubtedly, un, I think, unparalleled. She was phenomenal. She played at Cal. She called me up and said, hey, do you coach quarterbacks? And I said, no, nah, I really don't. She goes, you're coaching my son. <laughs> like, that was it. She wasn't, she wasn't taking no for an answer. And I said, okay. So I started coaching Nick, and I thought, wow, I, I, this kind of this tickles me. Like, I like this. And so I started coaching other quarterbacks. And then seeing not just how I could help them develop as quarterbacks, which is very important for self-esteem and for competence and f- that feeling of mastery, but also how I could help them develop as human beings. Because I think right now in our society – we are not doing that. We are telling everybody they are a victim. We are telling everybody it's somebody else's fault. We are finding a way to insert racism, sexism, everything into yeah. every conversation yes. instead of working on individual exceptionalism, which is what made this country great, which is what makes people great, which is what leads to great lives. Couldn't agree with you more. And so being able to coach young athletes at a time when they're still impressionable, at a time when they can still grow, at a time when they can see the benefit of doing the work, of outworking somebody else, not saying, ooh, I'm here because I'm a victim. No, no, no. You're there because you didn't work hard enough. But you can change that at any point in your life by putting in the work. And if you do that, it will change your outcome. It will change your stars. And so I can teach these kids at a young age that that's how you improve. And then they can see it a little bit of delayed gratification, but they can see it over the course of four or five years. I had a young quarterback recently. He's playing really well right now. Called me up the other day, and he goes, hey, remember when I couldn't even throw the ball 29 yards? He goes, look at me now. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. If you do the work, you have, to, you have to be able to put off gratification for a little bit. But if you do the work, the benefits will come. You have to put that gratification off. <clears throat> Something you'd really like to do. You know, you want to go out with your girlfriend or whatever. You have to put in the work to do it. Absolutely. I, I, I find so much of a parallel with with um, what we do in professional air aviation. It's, it's, it's a lot of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about you, though, is you have been there and now you're coming back and you're sharing what you have. A lot of teachers don't start by having been there, but you've what 30 years in around your sport yes so yeah, yeah, yeah. since i was 15 so but you're 16 now so. yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah, almost 40 years now that either playing or commentating on football and uh-huh. so you know I'm, I'm obviously cal's radio color analyst i'm around college football all the time i've worked for nbc i've worked for fox i've worked for abc i've worked for all of them and i just love being around the game i love seeing the growth that happens within the game and i love the intensity of it because in life that delayed gratification may be five years maybe 10 years in football that delayed gratification is one season yeah yeah. and and so it's the end of the season and quite honestly to master anything to to work on mastery you learn it is delayed gratification for the big prize but you are learning to enjoy as they say learning to love the suck yeah. And then you find ways to win and to reward yourself every single day for little micro improvements that you make every single day. And that's how people become masters. That's Angela Duckworth talked about it in her book, Grit. She talks about grit and how you develop grit. And it's about doing mundane tasks over and over and, and enjoying the benefits that you get from those mundane tasks. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you played with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, how did you end up doing that and enjoying that? Uh, that had to be something else. That's an epitome, they think, uh, you know, it's considered to be the top of someone's career to play in the NFL. But, uh, you know, how did you end up doing it and how did you enjoy it? So I got drafted in the eighth round, 1992 NFL draft. Mel Kuyper, actually, who was a big-time draft analyst, had me selected as a number two overall quarterback to go. And so 
I had talked to Phoenix. Jerry Rome was down there coaching quarterbacks, and he said, you're my guy. You're my guy. We're picking you. They had the first pick of the second round. I was like, okay, I'm going to Phoenix. This is great. Draft day comes, and they don't pick me. They pick another quarterback. Another quarterback who I wasn't, I, I wasn't highly impressed with. Let's put it that way. And then they keep pumping down. My coaching staff at Cal left right after I got done playing. They went to Arizona State. Steve Mariucci went to the NFL. Like, a bunch of things went on. And, and Mooch called me during the draft. He's like, hey, because he, he knew I was sliding. And he said, I talked to Coach Holmgren. We're not drafting you. We can't. He won't let me draft you because he did that. And he lost his relationship with his quarterback. Like, there was these whole, a bunch of guys calling me behind the scenes. And they knew I was supposed to be going to Phoenix. And so here I am on what's supposed to be a great day in my life. And it's a really disappointing day. And it turns out Jerry Rome's father died on Thursday. Oh, so man. as much as my dismay at what was going on, it's only like an $800,000 swing in 92, which is big money, right? Big money. Um, you know, he lost his father. And mm. so he's like, you were my guy. I told him what I wanted. Didn't happen. But we just, you know, got to move forward. So that, and that's what happened. I got to Tampa, had another quarterback. We were the same exact guy, but he was drafted ahead of me. And it was, it was an interesting experience to be there. Everybody thinks this is the pinnacle, but things are never what they're taught. You think about all the things that you pursue and you get to that pinnacle and all of a sudden it's like, huh, well, it's not quite what I expected it, right? Because you get that dopamine drop off. The, the dopamine kicks in when you're getting the little rewards on your way there, when you're improving, when you're growing, when you're getting better, when you're in the chase, yes. right? This is the hunter. Yes. You're in the yeah. chase, but then you accomplish that goal and it's like, wow, now what? And so I got there and... I wasn't getting my shot. I wasn't getting to play. I, I was backing up. They literally put me in somebody else's jersey so that when the NFL came in, they couldn't say, oh, the guy that you put on injured reserve is playing. So they were breaking the rules with me at the time yeah. to get me on the field. And so it was, it was, it felt shady. It felt off. And Tampa was one of the worst organizations in the NFL at the time. So I didn't love it. And I started to lose my love for the game, went to the CFL the next year, played for a guy who I wasn't impressed with on a moral value um, for two years in a row in the CFL finally ended up back in the Arena League and I got to Albany yeah. and my head coach at the time was Mike Hoensey who I still keep in contact but he left right away I was back up there I was just going to go back to law school I was done I was over it <laughs> and then Mike Daly took over and Mike Daly is one of the finest human beings on this planet period and yeah, a discussion he did, he did so well with our head coach well arena and he, and he has a record as a head coach of winning championships because he believes in quality character guys Mike Daly I, I went into his office and I said here's the deal if you want cancers who run fast but are hard to deal with I'm not your quarterback when he wanted to sign me and I said, but if you are willing to put in the time, put in the effort to build a quality character team, I'll lead that team to a championship. Mm -hmm. And he committed to it because he's a character guy. And we built what is now considered the greatest team in the history of arena football in that year in 1999. And so that was because of character over talent. And that was a huge deal. Wow, that just sounds like anything. You were in there for like five years with arena football. But did it seem a little bit strange, the, the field being so small as, to, as opposed to the normal football field? Yeah, when you first get there, the angles feel really weird. And, and you have walls, so you're worried about throwing guys into walls. It's, it's an interesting deal, but I learned to love it even more than the big field game. Wow. Because it's all passing all the time, and it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one coverage. And as a quarterback, it's a dream league. Hmm. I, I, I'd imagine it. it uh, you broke all kinds of records in the AFL too for what they have. You you had um, like sixteen thousand six hundred and seventy three yards, 
303 touchdowns. You know, that's the most touchdown passes in a single game I believe you had too, right? I tied it. Kurt Warner and I were there together. Yeah. And so Kurt and I used to compete against each other. Um, and I, I think, and I don't remember the record exactly either. I think we played each other four times and we either split it or I won one extra in five games. I don't remember. Anyway, but you could throw the ball a lot. So 10 touchdowns in a game happens. Kurt broke it first. I came back and got it. Aaron Garcia got it. So there were some guys who could really play the position. And uh, But it, like I said, it's a quarterback's game. You have to throw a lot of touchdowns in that game. Absolutely. And you know, and they had a name for the Albany Firebirds at the time. It was called, what, the greatest team of and, all time. Of all time in the Arena Football League. That's exactly right. And then you tried out in the XFL for a while. Well, how was that one? It was interesting, right? It was a lot of fun. I mean, you were dealing with some really good business minds. Jim McMahon is a showman out front. And, you know, we, we've seen what showmen can do. They can lead countries for, you know, that's if you can create the persona to the people you can do a lot of things mcmahon is that way he's actually a lot quieter behind the scenes than uh-huh. like when you first meet him you're like well really is this the same guy but he's brilliant he is brilliant and his concept for the league was great now you never get anything right in year one and nbc unfortunately had a policy that if it wasn't a profit center they'd cut it and so we had that first year it wasn't quite right but because nbc was a partner they're like well no we're getting out and and so it kind of fell apart after that year but the the football got better and better and better and better as we went along i bet it did and the environment got better and better because nobody knew each other coming in players like you exactly you're trying to throw you're trying to throw people into a room and say hey go play football that isn't how it works there's so much chemistry there's so much timing there's so much repetition to what you have to do that it takes a while to get good and the game got better towards the end. I'm glad to see The Rock bringing it back. I'm glad to see the XFL because there's a lot of really, really good football players that deserve an opportunity to play and that they aren't getting it mm-hmm. because the NFL is a premier place. It's where the best go to play, period. It's the best athletes in the world. But there's some great guys who can play entertaining football who aren't in the NFL for one reason or another that can still play. Wow, that's incredible. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, we were talking about the coaching, elite athletes. TV. TV. Unbelievable. Can you just give us a brief on that one? So there's a kid in Cornfield, Iowa right now that doesn't have access to a quarterback coach. He can't get to it. And kids coming out of high school are much more polished now than they were when I was playing. It used to be that you would pick a raw talent, bring him in, and then you would teach him how to play the position. Now they expect kids, quarterbacks, athletes coming out of high school to be ready to go day one when they hit college. And so that kid in Cornfield, Iowa, doesn't have the benefit of having a coach. And maybe he's good enough to be an NFL first-round pick, but he hasn't—he doesn't have the coaching. He can't get to it. I'm giving him digital assets that he can use to become a better football player. That's amazing. It won't be as polished as if I were there working with him, but he's going to have the tools, he's going to have the training, and he's going to have the ability that if he is a self-starter, he can make something of himself. And I'm working with Dan O'Brien, who is three-time world champion, uh, Olympic gold medalist. I'm working with Ethan Banning, who was a former MLB international uh, strength and training or strength and conditioning coach. So some incredible minds, some incredible talent with guys giving you the top science-based and game-based um, information that you can get for your position. And anybody could 
could go online. They can find Elite, Elite Athletes, Athletes TV, TV and they can learn how to sign up that way. Exactly. The other thing, you're a multifaceted kind of guy. You know, I, you keep everyone thinking that's around you all the time. You're, you know, it's a joy to be around you, Mike. You know, one of the things that you do also is you have Gridiron Outdoors. And Gridiron Outdoors, you know, if for an avid lover of the outdoors, this is a place to go and watch you go out and, and play. Before we run out of time, can you tell me a real quick on this bear story? Yes. And I got, so, I got to have you tell the lift, listeners about this. Yeah. So, so we got to go all over the world. Alaska was one of my favorite places to go. When we were fishing, uh, doing all that, we get up there. My cameraman, Bill Thompson, who's a stud, he, was, he could climb a mountain like a spider monkey. He was unbelievable. But he was asking our guide. We were parking. We were filming some grizzlies as they were on the fall salmon run. Um, and we had kept chasing these grizzlies around because we were trying to get all this film. And there was these two young cubs that kept... I kept bumping them, so to speak. I'd be where they wanted to be, and they'd they'd kind of go around me. And then (laughs) I'd come around the bend, there they'd be again. And so I bumped them several times. And finally, we're eating lunch, and we spill some soup. And I kind of get the spidey sense. The hair on the back of my neck stands up. And I look back over us, and here come these three bears. It's Mama and these two cubs coming down the hill. I'm like, we should probably get out of here. So we get out. They eat the soup or do whatever they do over there. And we're standing up on the point by the boat above about 15 feet off the Moraine River. Um, and we're watching all these bears and mama and these cubs get in. They start fishing for like 10, 15 minutes. And then we see them move up and we kind of lose interest. So my guide and my camera guy, Bill, are talking. And Bill says, hey, so what sound do they make? How can you tell when they're being aggressive? And our guide says, well, they make this, this huffing noise. And they snap their teeth. And right as he's doing this, mama... And the two cubs, and the male in particular, who thought he was all that, were getting out of the river. And this male hears it, and he's like, I have had it. And you can just see him turn it on, and he starts coming down the bank as if he's been challenged because he heard the guy doing that. I look at him like, "Uh, guys, uh, bear, coming at us here. And they're coming down, and the guide says, well, don't move, don't run, just stand your ground. He'll back off. He's young. No big deal. Don't run. Okay, great. So the bear comes running down the bank. So we're standing on this promontory that's sticking out this rock. And he comes running back. And we've got about a 10-yard gap between the bank and the edge of the rock. And he says, the bear um, comes down and my guide goes, don't run, don't run. First thing that happens, my camera guy, he's gone. He's in the boat. I'm like, well, that worked well. So me and the guide are going, go on, bear, throwing our hands up, getting his biggest spot. Go on, bear, go on. And the bear looks at us. He's like, "Uh uh-uh. And he kind of bluff charges us. And holy smokes my guide's starting to get nervous. I'm like, go on, bear, come on. And I'm filming the whole thing. So I have the film. It's been on YouTube. And and my guide all of a sudden gets nervous and he goes down the bank into the boat. I'm like, oh, well, so much for standing your ground. So now it's me and this bear. And I drop the camera. You know, I let go of the camera. Camera falls down. I'm going, go on, bear. And the bear stands up full size grizzly. And I'm thinking, I'm about to pee my waders because <laughs> this guy's in front of me. And... I'm like, go on, bear. And my last thought is, I'm going off this cliff if he takes one more step. And all of a sudden, I see him turn back and look over his shoulder and looks at Mama. And Mama looks at him like, wow. And it's like, leave those nice fishermen alone. And all of a sudden, now he just loses all courage. Yeah. He, oh, I don't want, I, and you see him turn around and go running back with his tail between his legs. And I was, all I was thinking is, I survived. Holy crap. But, but it was one of those amazing life experiences, right? Like, 
how many people get to see a bluff charge from a grizzly bear at 10 yards? It's, it's amazing. It was incredible. It scared the hell out of me. <laughs> but it was part of the fun that I had doing the outdoor stuff. Wow, Mike. Well, there's so much more that I wanted to, to get into you, but we've, we've chewed up all the time. I have to say it's really enjoyable. Speaking with my good friend and esteemed guest, Mike Pulaski, one of the winningest quarterbacks in Cal Bear history, a former NFL Tampa Bay Buccaneer quarterback, a veteran record setter in the AFL, played XFL, and all-around great guy. Watch him as a host of Gridiron Outdoors and the Outdoor Channel, color commentator for the Cal Bears on Comcast Sportsnet and Fox Sportsnet. He helps out the young football community in a number of ways, Cal Ballers, as well as uh, the Elite Athletes TV. Thank you, my good friend, for being my guest and being on our show today. You're listening to The Real Estate and More Show, more about more today with interesting people. We'll be right back after a short break with our next special guest. Stay tuned. 